You're listening to the Judicial Watch Weekly Update with Tom Fitton. Hey everyone, Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update on social media. Thanks for joining us this week. We are live. Thank you as always. I hope you've been having a a wonderful July. Uh, It's a little bit smoky here in Washington, D.C., not from all the lies and corruption, but from those uh, wildfires uh, caused by the uh, uh, socialist mismanagement up in Canada. Uh, but it's uh, it's been a nice summer week here in Washington, D.C. A lot of good news for liberty and the Constitution with some significant Supreme Court decisions on race and the First Amendment. Uh, and I'll talk about that. Uh, we have a new uh, piece of litigation about this core Biden corruption issue. I want to talk to you about that related to an FBI cover-up to help Joe and Hunter. Uh, so there's a lot going on here at Judicial Watch and a lot going on in the nation as it relates to uh, the rule of law and government corruption. Uh, you know, key two key facets of uh, Judicial Watch's mission. Uh, first up is uh, or are the various Supreme Court rulings uh, that were issued this week. I think the term of the court is over now. I don't think they're going to be meeting again. So all the big decisions are out there. And I'm not going to cover them all, but I'm going to cover one or two of them, especially the one on race, because it's so important and so needed. This 6-3 decision uh, that has overturned the race-based emission policies, let's just say discriminatory emissions policies in colleges and universities, both public and private. So public universities, for obvious reasons, can't discriminate on race because they're the government, based on race because they're the government. And private universities and colleges can't discriminate if they take federal funding under the civil rights laws. And for years and years, the Supreme Court wrongly has allowed colleges and universities to take race into account when uh, considering an applicant for admissions. And on the face of the 14th Amendment, on the face of the civil rights laws, uh, the Civil Rights Act, uh, it's obvious uh, that it was unlawful. But because they thought in the case of uh, university admissions that uh, they could, um, that diversity was a compelling enough reason to warrant discrimination. And uh, the uh, ruling, the infamous ruling that allowed that said, well, you know, we'll, we'll let that happen. Uh, diversity is compelling enough, but only for the next 25 years or so. And that ruling was about 25 years. Ago. And so the court threw out these racially discriminatory admissions policies, and uh, the left is apoplectic because they believe in racism. They believe, you know, racism, I guess, is a strong word. Maybe it isn't, but I'll let you, you know, what do you think in the comments below? Let, let us know what you think. One word I do like to use is racialism. They want to use race to divide America uh, and uh, really destroy the American way by uh, turning us against each other through this uh, racial favoritism. And thankfully, the Supreme Court stood up against it. As I say in our statement, I'm going to get our statement out, and then I'll get into the decision a little bit. Where's our just? It was long past time for the Supreme Court to require our higher education system to follow the Constitution and stop blatant and unconstitutional race discrimination. 
As the Supreme Court majority observes in the opinion, and I encourage you to review it, eliminating racial discrimination means eliminating all of it. The decision could not come at a better time. As the extremist left embraces outright race discrimination, racial separatism, and racial segregation under the guise of anti-racism. And as Justice Thomas observed in his concurring opinion, and a concurring opinion is saying, look, I agree with the majority says, but I want to add my two cents here specifically. The solution to our nation's racial problems cannot come from policies grounded in affirmative action or some other conception of equity. Racialism simply cannot be undone by different or more racialism. Instead, the solution announced in the second founding, and the second founding he's referencing is the development of the uh, constitutional amendments after the Civil War that protected uh, the rights of the newly freed slaves and, and everyone else in more dramatic ways, not only in the 13th Amendment, obviously, but the 14th Amendment, which grants every citizen equal protection of the laws. Uh, so instead, the solution announced in the second founding is incorporated in our Constitution that we are all equal and should be treated equally before the law without regard to our race. Only that promise can allow us to look past our differing skin colors and identities and see each other for what we truly are, individuals with unique thoughts, perspectives, and goals, but with equal dignity and equal rights under the law. So not only is that an originalist, but as I read this, my epiphany is as follows. Not only is that an originalist position and one that obviously fairly applies, the law has written, is what we expect judges to do, but in terms of how to treat each other, right? Isn't it a Christian position? Isn't it a godly position? And the left is, is opposed to all of that. And uh, Justice Thomas, again, hit it right on the head, and it's a, his concurring opinion is worth the price of admission uh, when you're reviewing this, when, you re when I hope you go and read uh, the full opinion. Now, Judicial Watch has been battling in this arena for years. Uh, we filed several Amiga briefs uh, with the Allied Educational Foundation, which is one of our partners in filing Amica briefs. They've, they've been with us for years doing that. Uh, and there was this uh, group called Students for Fair Admissions, and they had these Supreme Court cases that just percolated seemingly forever in a day. And um, I think we filed th four, four amicus briefs, or amici briefs, since we were uh, friends, not just a friend of the court. And we argued in our briefs that the court should reject, and this is kind of what the court did, a prior 1978 Supreme Court opinion that seemingly authorizes racial discrimination in college admissions. And this was the Bakke case, B-A-K-K-E. And you'll see that referenced in the court decision. Since Bakke, there have been at least 26 separate opinions. Many of these have attempted to explain the constitutional rationale for allowing race-based preferences, even though those rationales appear to directly conflict with the original meaning and text of the Equal Protection Clause. So, you know, in many ways, the Supreme Court, I'm complaining about the left's uh, racialism, a lot of it is the result of the Supreme Court letting them do that for decades. You know, we had the 14th Amendment that, that guaranteed equal protection of the law. We had these civil rights laws from the 60s and other laws since then that were supposed to ensure that everyone is treated equally um, uh, before the law. 
without regard to race. And the Supreme Court carved out exceptions for good reasons, they thought, right? There's always good reasons to discriminate against someone. Certainly the segregationists of old, you know, they all justified their uh, racial discrimination based on good reasons. You know, but we don't allow race to be one of those reasons. We had a civil war in part over it, and the Constitution was explicit in that regard. And that's the supreme law of the land in our system. So thank you, Supreme Court, for cleaning up your mess. And we highlighted in our briefs how race-based discrimination and the resulting quota mentality is permeating government. So it's not just in racial admissions, these decisions, or in college admissions, that these decisions infected our way of life. It, it, this, this racialism uh, metastasized and spread throughout our culture and government. Vice President Kamala Harris, for instance, attacked equality and impl implicitly called for race-based quotas. And this is what she said. There's a big difference between equity and equality. Equality suggests everyone should get the same amount. The problem with that, not everyone's starting out from the same place. Equitable treatment means we all end up in the same place. Well, that's Marxism. That's Marxism. Referencing this and other Biden administration actions promoting racial favoritism, the brief noted, this is Judicial Watch and, and, and uh, Allied Educational Foundation's brief, there is um, no constitutional guarantee that we all end up in the same place. The foregoing statements reveal a distorted view of the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment that would guarantee racially proportionate outcomes under the name of, quote, equity, not the equality of opportunity, the Equal Protection Clause is always guaranteed. These are more than their mere words or theories. Racial preferences have increasingly become incorporated in the real world, governmental decisions and policies. For example, the Department of Agriculture recently sought to use race as a basis for deciding who receives government loan forgiveness. In a similar vein, New York issued guidelines governing which COVID-19 patients were eligible to receive life-saving monoclonal antibodies and other therapeutics that were required, um, let me see. In a similar vein, New York issued guidelines governing which COVID-19 patients are eligible to receive life-saving monoclonal antibodies and therapeutics. And those, uh, those guidelines required the patients to be a person of color or Hispanic ethnicity. So, um, in addition to these amicus cases, these amicus briefs that we filed that hopefully resulted, I, I think it's fairly to say, helped result in this great historic outcome, uh, you know, we've been pushing hard against this critical race theory, this racialism, and other circumstances and other cases. In January of 2022, the city of Asheville, North Carolina, settled a Judicial Watch federal civil rights lawsuit after agreeing to remove all racially discriminatory provisions in a city-funded scholarship program. Additionally, the city also agreed to remove racially discriminatory eligibility provisions in a related program that provides grants to educators. And they approved that uh, settlement just last year in January, the full city council. And so uh, we also have this challenge to a public teacher's union contract 
in Minneapolis, which is brazenly racially discriminatory, it requires race discrimination and layoffs and hiring. I mean, this is this is um, this is a contagion, right? This critical race theory uh, thinking, this idea that we should dole out benefits on the basis of race. Some people get benefits on the basis of race, and other people get punished on the basis of race. And that's not what America is about. America is about treating people as they are. You know, human beings with equal rights under the law, no matter their race. And the left opposes that. And uh, we have to be blunt about that. And uh, they want to destroy the country by sowing racial division. I don't know how else to describe it. So this is the full decision here of um, the Supreme Court of the United States. There were two cases, one against Harvard, the other was against University of North Carolina. And the decision went down 6-3 more or less. I guess Justice Jackson recused herself from one of the cases, uh, but uh, substantively agreed with her colleagues, even though she disagreed, wasn't able to participate in one of the decisions. And uh, it's well worth reading. And I'm going to talk about this case a little bit with more detail. But I encourage you to read the full thing. You know, Supreme Court decisions, uh, especially in areas like this, are, are accessible to some to folks who are literate. And if you're literate, uh, you'll be able to read and understand this decision. I'm not a lawyer, but certainly there's nothing in here uh, that a student of U.S. history and someone who's interested in these issues uh, can't understand. And you know, and what's what, what's great about looking at the decisions, you see, well, this justice is making an argument I don't agree with, but you know, the outcome's okay. The argument could have been better. And then you see dissents where the dissents are just awful and laughable. And then sometimes you see dissents and decisions that explain why the whole court was wrong otherwise to rule the way they did. And in that way, you participate and understand these public debates uh, that the lawyers would, practically speaking, want to prohibit you from understanding by telling you you can't understand it and you shouldn't even look at it. So I encourage you to read all these Supreme Court decisions, the ones I'm talking about here, obviously, but also the other ones that have been in the news as well. Because they're all accessible. And the big and the big decision and was written by Chief Justice Roberts, who had a, a good decision. I don't always agree with Chief, the Chief on a lot of cases. But he, he talks about all these decisions that the court of the court has entered, the Supreme Court has entered, opinions the Supreme Court has issued, you know, vindicating uh, equal treatment under the law. And he says these decisions reflect the core purpose of the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. Doing away with all governmentally imposed discrimination based on race. We have recognized that repeatedly. The clear and central purpose of the 14th Amendment was to eliminate all official state sources of invidious racial discrimination in the states. The central purpose of the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment, he quotes another decision, is the prevention of official conduct discriminating on the basis of race. He quotes again, the historical fact is that the central purpose of the 14th Amendment was to eliminate racial discrimination. Eliminating racial discrimination means eliminating all of it. And the Equal Protection Clause we have accordingly held applies without regard to any differences of race, of color, or of nationality. It is universal in its application. 
For the guarantee of equal protection cannot mean one thing when applied to one individual and something else when applied to a person of another color. If both are not accorded the same protection, then it is not equal. Any exception to the Constitution's demand for equal protection must survive a, t a daunting two-step examination known in our cases as strict scrutiny. Under that standard, we ask, first, whether the racial classification is used to further a compelling governmental interest. Second, if so, we ask whether the government's use of race is narrowly tailored, meaning necessary to achieve that interest. Outside the circumstances of these cases, our precedents have identified only two compelling interests that permit resort to race-based governmental action. One is remediating specific, identified instances of past discrimination that violated the Constitution or a statute. The second is avoiding imminent and serious risks to human safety in prisons, such as a race riot. Other, our acceptance of race-based state action has been rare for a reason. Distinctions between citizens solely because of their ancestry are by their very nature odious to a free people whose institutions are founded upon the doctrine of equality. That principle cannot be overridden except in the most extraordinary case. Who on earth would disagree with this? Who on earth would disagree with this? The left does. They reject this in total. They want race discrimination. They want race segregation. They want to treat you according to race first and your other God-given quality second. It's pernicious, it's dangerous, and it's un-American. And it's anti-constitutional. And thankfully, the Supreme Court has finally gotten its act together and knocked back these racially discriminatory practices that they've allowed to take place with respect to college admissions. And I hope, fairly read and, and further applied, that this decision results in other race-based decision-making by businesses and hiring and loan-making and things like that, that they can't do it anymore because it's unconstitutional and illegal. So one of the out, um, one of the uh, disturbing things about this decision is just Jack, Justice Jackson's decision uh, or dissent. Now Justice Jackson is uh, just Joe Biden's appointee. She was confirmed by the Senate. And Joe Biden in nominating Justice Jackson made it clear that he was only going to consider people based on race and sex, that he wasn't going to select anyone other than a black female. So Justice Jackson was the, it was for the first time, at least in, in known his, in, in, in modern era, the, and I, I'm, not, I'm not aware of another president even saying this outright ever, was selected admittedly on the basis of discriminatory decision making. So it was race and sex discrimination that resulted in her nomination. And she came up with some of the worst material in her dissent related to racialism that you'll ever see. It's some of the worst material. It's anti-American. It's I'm not going to give it the credit of reading it to you. You can go and read it. But it's critical race theory that neo-Marxists repackage Marxism to the max. It's anti-American. She talks about systemic racism. And, you know, her solution and the solution of the left to racism is more racism. 
which is discrimination on the basis of race to solve the alleged issue of racial strife and discrimination. And I call out Justice Jackson because I want to use her awful decision as a way to highlight Justice Thomas's decision, which is, a, as someone noted, a tour de force and something that's worth reading um, and sharing with others. Uh, because not only does he do a great job in educating about the development of the law as it re- relates to race, he calls out Justice Jackson in a, in a, in, in a, in a dramatic fashion that I'm going to share with you at least part of what he had to say about what Justice, what Justice Jackson was up to. And, you know, Justice Jackson's not alone. I mean, you have Joe Biden and all of the left and, uh, attacking the court because of, it refused to back down um, from their prior intimidation of the court on this issue. Now, all these attacks on Supreme Court justices, on ethics and such, that's all designed to try to get them to not do the right thing when it comes to their decision-making and to intimidate them away from doing it. And in this case, it didn't work, thankfully. According to, and these are, I'm going to read a few sections here. There's a lot I'd like to read, but I don't think I can read it all. According to Justice Jackson's race-infused worldview, this is Justice Thomas. Accordingly, Justice Jackson's race-infused worldview falls flat at each step. Individuals are the sum of their unique experiences, challenges, and accomplishments. What matters is not the barriers they face, but how they chose to confront them. And their race is not to blame for everything, good or bad, that happens in their lives. A contrary myopic worldview based on individual individual skin color to the total exclusion of their personal choices is nothing short of racial determinism. Determinism, right? Justice Jackson then builds from her faulty premise to call for action, arguing that the court should defer to experts and allow institutions to discriminate on the basis of race. Make no mistake, her dissent is not a vanguard of the innocent and helpless. It is instead a call to empower privileged elites who will tell us what is required to level the playing field among case and classifications that they alone can divine. Then after siloing us all in racial case, casts, I guess, and pitting those castes against each other, the dissent somehow believes that we will be able at some undefined point to march forward together into some utopian vision. Social movements that invoke these sorts of rallying cries historically have ended Disastrously, unsurprisingly, this tried and true, this tried and failed system defies both law and reason. Start with the obvious: if social reorganization in the name of equality may be justified by the mere state fact of statistical disparities among racial groups, then that reorganization must continue till those disparities are fully eliminated, regardless of the reasons for the disparities and the costs of their elimination. If blacks fail to test at higher rates than their white counterparts, regardless of whether the reason for the disparity has anything at all to do with race, the only solution will be race-focused measures. If those measures were to result in blacks failing at yet higher rates, the only solution would be to double down. In fact, there would seem to be no logical limit to what the government may do to level the racial playing field out white 
outright wealth transfers, quota systems, and racial preferences would all seem permissible. In such a system, it would not matter how many innocents suffer race-based injuries. All that would matter is reaching the race-based goal. It's good stuff, isn't it? And, and how brilliant is Justice Thomas to highlight the totalitarianism behind this racial approach? So when I talk about critical race theory and Justice Jackson's theories here and the support she has from these leftists on the outside, their goal isn't to eliminate racial classifications. Their goal is to continuing, to continue them to allow wealth transfer, the government uh, reorganization of our entire society, Marxist revolutionary attacks on our right to govern ourselves. This is what they plan to do, and this is what we have to stop them from doing. Excuse me, my phone was ringing there. So I encourage you uh, to read this full um, uh, discussion. We have a, uh, uh, a link to it below, or at least we're going to put one below. And there were some other great decisions this week as well. The Supreme Court rejected uh, the Biden administration's, Joe Biden's effort to uh, 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 increase his ability to govern without accountability uh, and contrary to the constitutional limits on him uh, by uh, rejecting his effort to forgive the debt of student loan recipients. It was something, I think he wanted to spend upwards of a half a trillion dollars without congressional authorization and uh, the 6-3 majority in the Supreme Court said, no, that's a bridge too far. You're not allowed to do that. Uh, under the law, you can make modest changes to uh, the way the program is administered. You can waive a few issues that are immaterial to the, the basic functioning of the loan program, but you just can't forgive debt wholesale without congressional authorization. This is, by my count, the fourth time the Supreme Court has had to remind the President of the United States, Joe Biden, he's not a dictator. Uh, so that's another important decision, and of course the left is outraged that they're not able to do what they want to do in that regard as well. Uh, and in both this case and that case, they're gonna try to push in this case, I should say in that case, meaning the uh, racial discrimination case, uh, which the court outlawed race discrimination in college admissions, the left is already trying to figure out workarounds to allow them to continue, continue to racially discriminate without uh, uh, getting in the way or, or, or uh, without racially discriminate while still supposedly complying with the law. Now, I doubt they'll be able to do that legitimately. Uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, secondly, uh, you have the same fight on the student loan issue where the left is encouraging tr uh, Biden to come up with new ways to push this um, uh, loan program forgiveness again by bypassing the Constitution and, and the requirement that Congress spend the money and the executive is supposed to manage the program versus the other way around. Just unbelievable. Uh, so that was a good decision. And then it was another good decision on behalf of a um, or, or vindicating the right of uh, an individual website designer in Colorado who the state of Colorado was forcing to create webs wanted to force to create websites, a website endorsing same sex marriage. 
And she said, well, I object to that. You can't make me, you, you know, I have a product, but this product re- requires me to use my creativity and, 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 endorse, and endorse this activity. I don't want to do it. And the Supreme Court said, you're right. You can't force someone to do that. She has free speech rights. And, and I want to read you what Judge Gorsuch said in this regard. In this case, Colorado seeks to force an individual to speak in ways that align with this views, but defy her conscience, defy her conscience about a matter of major significance. In the past, other states have similarly tested the First Amendment's boundaries by seeking to compel speech they thought was vital at the time. But at this, at, but as this court has long held, the opportunity to think for ourselves and to express those thoughts freely is among our most cherished liberties and part of what keeps our Republicans, our republic strong. Of course, abiding the Constitution's commitment to the freedom of speech means all of us will encourage ideas we consider unattra- uh, will encounter ideas we consider quote unattractive, misguided, or even hurtful. But tolerance, not coercion, is our nation's answer. The First, Amendment's, First Amendment envisions the United States as a rich and complex place where all persons are free to think and speak as they wish, not as the government demands. Because Colorado seeks to deny that promise, the judgment is reversed. Great decision. And one I think is worth reflecting on because this is part and it's a blowback and pushback to the left's efforts to uh, uh, control speech, censor speech, but in this particular case, effectively outlaw the practice of Christianity and other uh, traditional approaches to uh, cultural issues. They want to ban your ability to uh, freely exercise your religion. And exercising religion just doesn't mean the right to go to church. It means the right to express your values in your everyday life within reason. And there's no doubt that when Colorado comes in and tells a website designer that they literally have to create material endorsing a practice they object to on the basis, what doesn't matter what basis, any basis that they disagree with, it's a violation of their First Amendment rights. And it's, I'm I'm pleased about these decisions. I'm disturbed that there's this almost Borg-like mentality on, in the culture, in our politics, in our government that is on the other side of this free speech issue and these First Amendment issues. They want to discriminate. They want to destroy the country through racial division. They want the president to be able to spend money without authorization like a dictator. They want the government to be able to police our thoughts. And it's not just a a small minority. It's a big group of people. Three justices in these each of these cases would be happy to do it. The only reason it's 6-3 is because, thank God, President Trump was able to make some good appointments. Could have gone south if it was a different president in a very different way legally. So our liberty, needs to, we need to be vigilant and diligent in protecting our rights. And be aware that appointments to the Supreme Court and the judiciary are key to protecting our rights. We have three three. Three entities in our government constitutionally, the legislature, the executive branch, and the judicial branch. And we just can't, you know, give one branch to uh, enemies of freedom and liberty in our constitutional system, meaning the 
judicial branch. So the efforts to appoint judges who, who apply the law fairly and according to the Constitution, the way it's written, not the way they want it to be written, uh, is, is in part saving this country from falling into complete collapse. It may not ultimately prevent it, but it, right now it's certainly uh, doing its best. It's, it's um, at least on the right side of a lot of these issues that's protecting the country. So that's some great news. Now, speaking of Joe Biden, um, we've got this continuing corruption with Joe Biden. This metas this scandal continues to get worse and worse, especially with this FBI document and the information, uh, the, the FBI document that has a source, a credible source, according to the FBI, uh, that uh, Joe was involved in an international bribery scheme with her son as it relates to Burisma and Ukraine, that there are tapes of conversations that would be terrible for the Bidens if they somehow got out, but supposedly they were taken and exist or existed, and that there was coercion behind uh, this corrupt scheme. Now, the FBI has had this document, been hiding it from the American people for years, tried to bury it even in its internal operations to make sure that those who were, had an ability to act on it didn't know about it. So there was obstruction and corruption to protect Joe uh, from being pursued on these issues by hiding this document. Congress got word of it through a whistleblower, and they're still being denied full access for it to it to let the public decide uh, what to make of it all. And uh, as we highlighted or highlighted a few weeks ago, uh, that we were supposed to have a contempt against uh, resolution against Ray. Uh, the FBI director because he was refusing to comply with a subpoena. Well, as far as I can tell, he still hasn't complied with the subpoena. We still don't have access to the full document, and there's still been no contempt resolution. So what are the Republicans doing? And this is why I love Judicial Watch, because Judicial Watch, again, steps up, comes to the rescue, and we just filed a FOIA lawsuit for this key FBI document uh, that provides significant and powerful evidence of unprecedented corruption uh, by a sitting president. And we filed this FOIA lawsuit um, against the Department of Justice. Now, the FBI is part of the Department of Justice, so to get the FBI document, we sued DOJ. And as we say, it describes an alleged criminal scheme involving then-Vice President Biden and a foreign national relating to the exchange of money for policy decisions. The FOIA requests also ask communications about the document. Um, so we want the document, we want the back and forth about the document. And this is what we ask for directly. The, un the unclassified, so it's never been classified. The unclassified FD-1023 confidential human source reporting document described in the May 23rd, May 3rd, 2023 letter from Senator Grassley and Representative Comer to Attorney General Garland and the FBI Director. All records of communications between the Attorney General and any other official or employee of the branch, any branch, department, agency, or office of the federal government regarding the letter and or the, um, the document described therein, the FD-1023. This includes any, um, this includes but is not limited to any such communications between the Attorney General and any other official or employee of the Department of Justice. 
All records or communications between Director Ray and any other official or employee of any branch, department, agency, or office of the federal government regarding the letter um, or the document described herein, the FD-1023. This includes but is not limited to any such communications between Director Ray and any other official or employee of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. So we want all the documents. And we filed this request in May. And if I recall correctly, I, I, I reviewed the lawsuit yesterday again. We asked for the documents. They acknowledged receipt of the request, but it's been radio silence since. And they have 20 days to give us the materials, and they refuse to. Well, they've been ignoring the request. So you have the Justice Department and the FBI in violation of FOIA law to cover up evidence of violation of other laws by Joe Biden and Hunter Biden. So it's corruption on top of corruption. And as, Senate, uh, as Senator Grassley noted in the floor speech um, last, I guess, I guess it's still this month, the 1023 produced to the House Committee redacted references that the foreign nationals who allegedly bribed Joe and Hunter Biden allegedly had audio recordings of his conversations with him. 17 total recordings. According to the 1023, the foreign national possessed 15 audio recordings of phone calls between him and Hunter. According to 1023, the foreign national possesses two audio recordings of phone calls between him and then Vice President Biden. These recordings were all, were allegedly kept as a sort of insurance policy for the foreign nationals in case he got caught in a tight spot. The 1023 also indicates that the then Vice President Joe Biden have been involved in Burisma employing Hunter Biden. So Joe Biden's been caught in a lie, according to this document, if this document is to be believed, if the evidence is right. And he should be subject to an impeachment inquiry just based on this information alone. And the fact that it hasn't happened yet is an indictment of the House Republican leadership. To me, this is a leadership decision. So Speaker McCarthy needs to decide whether he wants to enforce the rule of law and do everything he can under the Constitution to hold Biden accountable. And he, I recognize it's going to be a controversy. I recognize it's going to be a distraction. I recognize the Senate may not want to convict Biden. But if this isn't caused an impeachment inquiry, what would? And there's all sorts of other evidence about Joe Biden and Hunter Biden's corruption and money's coming in from overseas, uh, uh, you know, we have other evidence from the IRS whistleblower. Yes, he is the big guy. Yes, he was the beneficiary of Hunter Biden's ill-gotten money. Uh, what else do you need? And frankly, I'm, I'm tired of months and months of them telling us, oh, just wait and see. We're going to do something. We're going to do something. Well, you know where that time's a wasting. And the bribery, by the way, is, is $5 million a piece at least. $5 million a piece. One, five for Hunter, five for Joe. Now, did the bribe take place? I don't know. But you think the Justice Department's going to get to the bottom of it? Of course not. They're the ones covering it up. So Congress has got to step up. And you know what I think whether Congress is going to step up Because we filed the darn lawsuit. It's how much we trust Congress in this regard. 
This FBI document, which is being held contrary or hidden contrary to the law, could be the Rosetta Stone to uncovering unprecedented corruption by our nation's top elected official. The American people have a right to, under law to see this FBI document so they can judge for themselves whether their president and his family are crooks. Straightforward, right? Now, Judicial Watch is second to none in ferreting out and filing federal lawsuits to fetter, ferret out government corruption, especially with respect to Joe Biden. We filed a FOIA lawsuit against the National Archives just last month in May uh, for Biden family records and communications regarding this money laundering operation that Comer has referenced where monies were being funneled into uh, companies associated with the Bidens. You know, what was Vice President then Biden, you know, Vice President Biden's office doing with respect to a lot of these uh, folks that have been implicated? And we have several other lawsuits about uh, the efforts by the FBI to undermine uh, congressional investigations into Biden corruption and FBI and Justice Department investigations into government corruption. So, and on top of that, we've had other documents come out that show that the Obama administration knew full well uh, that there was a corruption problem with Joe and Hunter in Ukraine. In fact, we had the ambassador to Ukraine getting an email from one of her uh, top associates uh, this is during the Obama administration, where the State Department officials were noting, noting to each other how the Russians were making fun of Joe Biden's anti-corruption agenda, given his role son in Burisma. I mean, it was causing an, a, a national security issue with the Russians. They all knew about Biden's corruption, it's clear. This FBI document note shows that they had this information since at least July 2020, it's been buried by the deep state FBI that wanted to uh, see Biden elected and Trump thrown out. And now it's more election interference because they're slow walking the release of the information because they don't want Joe to be harmed as he seeks office again. That's the way I read it. So I told you about this case before, and I want to read you a statement related to it. This is another case that we had here in um, the Virginia area. And I'm going to read what I can, uh, I'm going to read you something quite specific. And you can go and look up the details behind it. But uh, the headline is, Former Magistrate and Virginia Office of the Executive Secretary Agreed to Resolve Lawsuit Challenging Magistrate's Termination. So this is a lawsuit that we had filed. Judicial Watch announced that former Virginia Magistrate Elizabeth Fuller and the officials of the Office of Executive Secretary of the Supreme Court of, Sec of Virginia have agreed to resolve Ms. Fuller's First Amendment lawsuit challenging her termination. The lawsuit, which Judicial Watch filed on Fuller's behalf on March 1, 2022, alleged that Fuller was fired from her position as a City of Alexandria magistrate after commenting to the Alexandria Times about the public outcome of a 2020 complaint she filed against Virginia bail bondsman Man Negan. Fuller alleged in the lawsuit that determination violated her First and Fourteenth Amendment rights. In response, the OES officials denied Fuller's allegations 
and stated that her termination was lawful as her comments as published in, in the October 7, 2021 Alexandra Times article related to criminal proceedings in the circuit in which she served as a magistrate violating the canons of conduct for Virginia magistrates. And I, we strongly believe, this is my comment, that public employees do not sign away their free speech rights when answering the call to public service. We are pleased Ms. Fuller and OES were able to resolve their differences. The agreement is not an admission of fault or liability on behalf of any party. So there you have it. There's your update. So what is everyone excited about in the rest of America? It's Independence Day is coming up. It's a great it's a great time of year. I love it. It's one of the few times I uh, uh, I shouldn't say one of the few times. I kind of like being in Washington for various reasons, mainly because it's where my work and family is. But uh, are but uh, Washington, you know, you're always July Fourth. You have all these reminders of the founders here in Washington, so it's nice in that regard. And one of the nice things we do on Independence Day or 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 uh, uh, something that we do every year, uh, most, most recently here on the update, is to read the Declaration of Independence to celebrate Independence Day. And it's something well worth reading and reconsidering every year, if not more than once a year, uh, as we consider the commitment and, and lives lost in the founding of our country for this, um, as Lincoln said, this new birth of freedom. I'm going to read you the Declaration of Independence. In Congress, July 4, 1776, the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America, when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with, one, with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among, are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence, indeed, will dictate that the governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes, and accordingly all experience has shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariably the same object invinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. The history of the present king of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny 
over these states. To prove this, let facts be submitted to a candid world. He has refused to his assent to laws the most wholesome and necessary for the public good. He has forbidden his governors to pass laws of immediate and pressing importance unless suspended in their operation till his assent be, should be attained, and when so suspended, he has utterly neglected to attend to them. He has refused to pass other laws for the accommodations of large districts of people unless those people would relinquish the right of representation in the legislature, a right inestimable, inestimable to them and formidable to tyrants only. He has called together legislative bodies at places unusual, uncomfortable, and distant from the depository of their public records for the sole purpose of fatiguing them into compliance with his measures. He has dissolved representative houses repeatedly for opposing with manly firmness his invasions on the rights of people. He has refused for a long time after such dissolutions to cause others to be elected whereby the legislative powers incapable of annihilation should have returned to the people at large for their exercise, the state remaining in the meantime exposed to all the dangers of invasion from without and convulsions within. He has endeavored to prevent the population of these states for that purpose, obstructing the laws for naturalization of foreigners, refusing to pass others to encourage their migrations hither, and raising the conditions of new appropriations of lands. He has obstructed the administration of justice by refusing his assent to laws for establishing judicial powers. He has made judges dependent on his will alone for the tenure of their offices and the amount and payment of their salaries. He has erected a multitude of new offices and sent hither swarms of offices, officers to harass our people and eat out their substance. He has kept among us in times of peace standing armies without the consent of our legislatures. He is affected to render the military independent of and superior to the civil power. He has combined with others to subject us to jurisdiction to a jurisdiction foreign to our constitution and unacknowledged by our laws, given his assent to their acts of pretended legislation, for quartering large bodies of armed troops among us, for protecting them by mock trial from punishment for any murders which they should commit on the inhabitants of these states, for cutting off our trade with other part with all parts of the world, for imposing taxes on us without our consent, for depriving us in many cases of the benefits of trial by jury, for transporting us beyond the seas to be tried for pretended offenses, for abolishing the free systems of free system of English laws in a in a neighboring province, establishing therein arbitrary government and by a lar and enlarging it as its boundaries so as to render it at once an example and fit instrument for introducing the same absolute rule in these colonies. For taking away our charters, abolishing our most valuable laws, and altering fundamentally the forms of our governments. For suspending our own legislatures and declaring themselves invested with power to legislate for us in all cases whatsoever. He has abdicated government here by declaring us out of his protection and waging war against us. He has plundered our seas, ravaged our coasts, burnt our towns, and destroyed the lives of our people. He is at this time transporting large armies of foreign mercenaries to complete the works of death, desolation, and tyranny, already begun with circumstances of cruelty and perfidy, scarcely parallel in the most barbarous ages and totally unworthy the head of a civilized nation. He has constrained our fellow citizens taken captive on the high seas to bear arms against their country, to become the executioners of their friends and brethren, or to fall themselves by their hands. 
He has excited domestic insurrections amongst us and has endeavored to bring on the inhabitants of our frontiers, the merciless Indian savages, whose known rule of warfare is an undistinguished destruction of all ages, sexes, and conditions. In every stage of these oppressions, we have petitioned for redress in the most humble terms. Our repeated petitions have been answered only by repeated injury, a prince whose character is thus marked by every act which may define a tyrant is unfit to be a ruler of a free people, nor have we been wanting the inattentions to our British brethren. We have warned them from time to time of attempts by their legislature to extend an unwarranted jurisdiction over us. We've reminded them of the circumstances of our immigration and settlement here. We've appealed to their native injustice, to their native justice and magnanimity but we have conjured them by the ties of our common kindred to disavow these usurpations, which inevitably interrupt our connections and correspondence. They too have been deaf to the voice of justice and of co-sanguinity. We must therefore acquiesce to the necessity which denounces our separation and hold them as we hold the rest of mankind, enemies in war and peace friends. We therefore, the representatives of the United States of America, in general Congress assembled, appealing to the Supreme Judge of the world for the rectitude and of, of our attentions, due in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly pub- publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British ca- crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved, and that of and that as free and independent states, they have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and to do all other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. And below is assigned the declar- the the signers of the declaration: Button Gwinnett, Button Gwinnett, Lyman Hall, George Walton, William Hooper, Joseph Hughes, John Penn, Edward Woodledge, Thomas Hayward Jr., Thomas Lynch Jr., Arthur Middleton, John Hancock, Samuel Chase, William Packer, Thomas Stone, Charles Carroll of Carrollton, Maryland. Virginia George Wythe, Henry, Hen- Richard Henry Lee, Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Harrison, Thomas Nelson Jr., Francis Lightfoot Lee, Carter Braxton, Robert Morris, Benjamin Rush, Benjamin Franklin, John Morton, George Clymer, James Smith, George Taylor, James Wilson, George Ross, Caesar Rodney, George Reed, Thomas McKean, William Floyd, Phil- Philip Livingston, Francis Lewis, Lewis Morris, Richard Stockton, John Witherspoon, Francis Hopkins, Hopkinson, John Hart, Abraham Clark, Josiah Bartlett, William Whipple, Samuel Adams, John Adams, Robert Treat Payne, Elridge, Elbridge Gary, Stephen Hopkins, William Ellery, Roger Sherman, Samuel Huntington, William Williams, Oliver Wolcott, and Matthew Thornton. Those that's the those are our founding fathers, quite literally. 
What a document, huh? I got goosebumps reading it. God bless America. God bless you. I wish you all the best from all of us here at Judicial Watch for a safe and blessed Independence Day. Uh, God protect you and God protect this fine nation. I'll see you here next time on the Judicial Watch Weekly Update. Thanks for listening to the Judicial Watch Weekly Update with Tom Fitton. For more information, visit www.judicialwatch.org because no one is above the law.